500 feet, turn left. Or right, I'm actually not sure. Good morning, Miles City. We are so glad that you're with us today. And if you're watching online with us, thank you for making us a part of your Sunday. What a beautiful day to be here as we are in this series, True North. And we've been talking a lot about maps and navigation systems. And um, I was reading a story this week about uh, how great navigation systems can be and how helpful they are to us these days. I mean, even our phones now are mini computers with navigation, GPS things on them and how it's just made the world an easier place. But even the most advanced technology, even the uh, most expensive technology can't always overcome human error or even sometimes human stupidity. And I was reading this story back uh, a couple years ago, 2009, there was this guy in Germany, he was making a delivery into Sweden. And so he gets into Sweden and he can't figure out exactly where he's supposed to go. So he types the address into this new GPS thing he has. And all of a sudden he hears this lovely, soothing female voice that just mesmerizes him. And so he starts doing exactly what this voice tells him to do and where it tells him to turn and everything's going great. But he got so enthralled with the voice that he ignored the signs that said, do not enter. And so he entered into this, it wasn't even a road, it was a pedestrian path that he started driving his truck down. And he got it down so far that he got stuck in a cherry tree. And so here he is with this delivery truck stuck in a tree, and so he tried to fix it by backing up, pulling forward, backing up until he couldn't move his truck at all. And when he was all said and done, he had damaged a couple light posts, he damaged a hedge of bushes, and then they had to cut parts of the tree down just to get his vehicle out. The local police came and they talked to him and they didn't know whether to laugh at him or give him a ticket because he's like, he said, I just got mesmerized by that voice. That voice was just telling me what to do and I just followed the directions. But he probably wasn't laughing when he did receive the fine for $550 that he had to pay for them to cut him out of the tree. And can you imagine the conversation of him having with his boss trying to explain how soothing that voice was that told him to go the wrong way? Now we hear that, and maybe some of you, you're of the generation that can more relate to the story of Michael Scott pulling in the lake in Scranton on The Office. And some of you, I can tell exactly who watched The Office, you know exactly what I'm talking about. The machine told me, all right? But anyway, we look at that and sometimes navigation can let us down. But as we're seeing in this series, True North, we know that there is a God who loves us that never lets us down. He never leads us astray. And he really is our true north. And he should be our true north. He should be our navigator. He should be the one we're listening to. His voice should be the soothing voice that we follow. And the great thing is when we follow him, we're going to see in this chapter that he also brings true joy when we follow after him. When we allow him to set the navigation, the course for our life, it's amazing what joy can come into our life. But the enemy comes and he loves to destroy our joy. He wants to do everything he can to take it away. And sometimes we look at joy and we look at happiness as the same thing when in fact they're two different things. Happiness is something that's based on your circumstances. For instance, today you seem very happy because it's like the fifth straight day in February that we've had sunshine in Michigan, which is a miracle of God in itself. 
Think about it. You walk in here and the sun's shining and man, this week I saw it might hit 67 on one day this week. It's like, what is this place? Have I moved back to Tennessee? I mean, what's going on? You know what I mean? But we also know that the happiness that we feel with this can be taken away extremely quickly if we go outside and there's snow on the ground and we're like, oh, here we go again. And it will happen before spring happens. You just know it will. It's like this thing hanging over our head all the time, like it's going to snow at least one more time. Happiness is based on our circumstances where joy comes from Jesus. Real, true joy comes from Jesus. And what Satan loves to do is he wants to destroy our joy. And he wants to make us think that he can steal our joy. But to be honest, Satan can't steal anything from Jesus. And if our joy comes from Jesus, Satan can't steal it. He can only squelch it. And he wants to make us think that it's gone. And he wants to put things in our life that will kill our joy. And so today, as we look at this passage, what we're going to do is spend a few minutes looking at some things in John chapter 16 that talk about what can steal our joy, that can show things that can kill our joy. And so before we jump into this day, let's just take a moment and pray together, all right? Lord Jesus, we come to you today and we're so thankful and grateful for what you've done for us. God, we are thankful that we get to come together and to sing some songs about you and to open up scripture and to hear you speak to our hearts. And God, I ask today that you would remove any distraction that's in our hearts and our minds, that we'd be able to focus on what scripture is saying, on what the Holy Spirit is prompting us, Lord, that we'd be sensitive to that, that we'd be honest with ourselves and honest with you. God, we are thankful for what you did for us on the cross. And for the fact that you sacrificed to pay the price for our sins. Lord, we just ask that what is done today would bring honor to your name. We'll thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. So over the past few weeks, we've been in John 13, and now we're hitting 16. John 13, 14, 15. Basically, this is the last time that Jesus sits down with the disciples and he gives them some like last words. This is, they call it the upper room discourse. And Jesus is just sharing some final thoughts with his disciples. And he's laying some pretty heavy stuff on them. This isn't like a light talk of like, hey, what do you think about the local sports team? Or hey, how's your job going? Or anything like that. Basically, Jesus has told him that he's about to die. He's told him that one of them is going to sell out, sell him out. He's told Peter that you're going to uh, deny me three times before tomorrow morning. Now he's telling them he's getting ready to leave. And they, they have some sorrow in their heart. There's some angst. There's some anxiousness in the room because the guy that's been with them for three years, three and a half years, is now going to take off. And I'm sure for these guys that left everything they had to follow Jesus, there was this safety net when Jesus was with them. It was like, okay, as long as you're around, things are good because I can see you, I can hear you, I can talk to you. Everything's good. But now he's telling him he's getting ready to leave. And so we get to chapter 16, and Jesus says to him in verse number one, I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he's offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you that when their hour comes you may remember that I told them to you. 
What Jesus is telling the disciples is that they're going to be de-synagogued. Now, this was a big deal to a Jewish man. Us looking back in hindsight, we know that the church is getting ready to start, and they're going to start meeting in homes, and it's no big deal to have to go to the temple or the synagogue, but they didn't know all this yet. And so their life was wrapped around spending time in the temple courtyard and hearing the teaching and all these things going on, and Jesus said, hey, you're going to get kicked out. But not only that, they're going to kill you. In fact, we know from history that that's exactly what happened to his disciples. It says, history tells us Matthew was slain by a sword. John boiled in oil and then later exiled to the Isle of Patmos. Peter was crucified upside down. James, the son of Zebedee, was beheaded. The other James was thrown off the roof and then beaten with a club. Bartholomew was flayed alive. Andrew was bound to a cross and preached Jesus till his death. Thomas was lanced and goes so on and so on. Every one of his disciples met an untimely death. Which this is an interesting sidebar here that if Jesus was a fraud, if Jesus was a fake, how did he convince these 11 guys to give their life for him? If what he did was fake and what he did was phony and he was just a good teacher, I don't think 11 guys would have given their life for Jesus if he was just a good teacher. I think they really understood who Jesus was. So Jesus understands that there's some sorrow and things are going to be hard. He's telling them, listen, if you're going to be my disciple, it's going to be difficult. Later on, he tries to encourage them in verse 20. He says, listen, your sorrow, though, is going to turn to joy. As crazy as it might sound, Jesus can bring joy and suffering. He can turn our trials into triumphs. So that's what he's trying to get them to understand. But He lays the groundwork for some things that we look at and say, hey, these are things that steal our joy, that take our joy, that kill our joy. And the first kill joy that we see is that of struggles. Now, let's be honest. The struggles that the disciples faced were a lot different than the struggles we face. I'm not worried that because I'm getting up here and opening the word of God and preaching from it that I'm going to lose my life when I leave here. I have no fear of that. It was funny, one of the safety guys was like, do you feel relatively safe after you speak? And I'm like, yeah, pretty much. There's not too many crazies here listening. I don't, I don't worry about that stuff. The disciples, that's a real fear. Why do you think they ran when they grabbed Jesus to crucify him? They all ran for their lives. The only time I've ever run for my life was as a kid, a dog was chasing me. But let's be honest, our struggles, even though they're not the same as the disciples, our struggles can still kill our joy. A bill unexpectedly can show up in the mail. There goes my joy. I could lose a job or a relationship can go south. Or a flat tire on my car. Think about all the little things that we struggle with in our life that can kill our joy. It doesn't take much sometimes. Sometimes it's such a little thing that can so derail us and so take us off the path. It's ironic that today I am, for the second time in several months, speaking to you about joy. The reason is, if you know me, joy is probably not an adjective that comes to your mind when describing Barry Martin. In fact, there are some that refer to me as Scary Barry. 
Now, unless you're my daughter's boyfriend, I don't want to be known as Scary Barry. To him, I'm fine with that. (laughs) But this is something in my life that I'm constantly working on. This was a conversation that when I got hired four and a half years ago that was had with me by Travis Whitaker on contagious joy. It's one of our virtues. And so believe it or not, I am joyous. I have joy. My face just doesn't know it. I have RBF, resting berry face. I watched my message from a few weeks ago. I'm like, man, I didn't smile at all. I hate watching and listening to myself. I barely ever do it. And I did a couple weeks ago. I'm like, that was a mistake. I'm like, God bless them people. All right. But it's amazing to me in my life, the small things that can take me off the path that he has for me. A crossword, money spent in a place that I wasn't planning on spending it. Last year, my son was in the hospital for two weeks with a ruptured appendix, and then he got an infection. And, all, and I'll be honest, I was worried about my son. But in the back of my mind, I was also worried about how much is this going to cost me? And I even had him up walking around. I busted some of his stitches trying to get him healthy so we could go home. It's amazing the little things that can steal our joy sometimes. And today, maybe you're sitting here and the Holy Spirit's prodding you and saying, hey, this struggle that you're having, is it killing your joy? What's robbing you? What's taking the joy from you? Joy comes from the Lord. Joy doesn't come from circumstances. What Jesus is trying to get the disciples to understand is, listen, even in the sorrow, even in the struggles, you can have joy. He goes on in verse, the end of verse number four, he says this, I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you, but now I am going to him who sent me and none of you asked me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Listen, they didn't want him to go, and rightly so. They were focused on him leaving, and we would have been too. If we would have spent three and a half years with Jesus and see all, seen all the things that he had said and heard all the things, or seen all the things that he'd done and heard all the things that he'd said, we wouldn't want him to go either. But what Jesus is telling him is, listen, it's better if I go because then I can send the Holy Spirit, the helper. This was a foreign concept to him. They didn't understand that the Holy Spirit was going to indwell him and lead him and all the things that they would do in the power of the Holy Spirit. They didn't understand this at this point. But as we look at this, and a few weeks ago, if you weren't here, I challenge you to go back and watch the messages because we spent a lot of time on what the Holy Spirit does in our life and who the Holy Spirit is and why he comes. But as we look at this passage, we see sometimes the second thing that can kill our joy is self. It's interesting that Jesus describes the Holy Spirit as a helper here. He comes along to help us, to guide us, to lead us. And yet so many times we want to do things on our own. You that are parents, you know your kids hit this stage in their life when they're really young where they want to do things on their own. And they don't want help. And you, they come out with shirts on backwards or pants on backwards or shoes on the wrong feet. And you try to help them, no, I can do it on my own. And you laugh and you're like, no, you can't, but go ahead. I think sometimes... 
God the Father looks down at us as his kids. And he's like, here, let me help you. No, I can do it on my own. I can raise my kids on my own, Lord. I don't need your help. I can find a job. I can handle my money. I can be in relationships. I've got this. Just leave me alone. We had a church planner here for a while. His name was uh, David Clark. His uncle was a preacher. His uncle used the word ego, and he made an acronym out of it. He said, this is edging God out. And a lot of times, our ego gets in the way of the Holy Spirit helping us in our life. What happens is when we do things on our own, it starts to kill our joy because our joy comes from Jesus. And when we push him out, when we edge him out, there goes our joy. So today I ask, where are we pushing the Holy Spirit out? Where are we edging him out of our life? What things are we trying to do on our own instead of giving it over to him? Jesus goes on and in verse number eight, he says this to the disciples. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Pointed this out in first service. The end of verse 7, it says, but if I go, I will send him to you. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. Jesus isn't saying that the Holy Spirit is going to come into the world and be a presence in the world. He says, I'm going to give them to you, the disciples. As believers, we have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit isn't like floating around this room. The Holy Spirit indwells us as believers. And so then when we get to verse number eight, if we understand that, what that does is this conviction of of sin, righteousness, and judgment is coming to us and through us because we have the Holy Spirit. He says, concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he'll guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. That first part of that passage says the Holy Spirit comes to convict, and the first thing he comes to convict of is unrighteousness, which brings us to the third killjoy we see in this passage, and that's sin. Sin can kill our joy. We have a heavenly father that loved us so much, he sent us help. He sent us the Holy Spirit to convict us of our unrighteousness. The problem is, though, if you're like me, many times we ignore that conviction in our life. How do we ignore it? Well, I think the Holy Spirit, his favorite way to speak to us is through the word of God. I really believe that. If you read this passage, Jesus calls them the spirit of truth. Where is truth found? It's found in Scripture. That's why at Mile City, we're always encouraging you. If you look at the front of that green card, one of the things on there, one of the mile markers on the green card that says, hey, if you do these things, it's going to help you move towards God, is a daily encounter. We think daily you need to hear from God. And the Holy Spirit loves to use Scripture in our life. That's why we have, when you walk in, that ear wall. We want you to write down things that God has spoken to you from His Word this week. It's important. How can I know the conviction of God if I never open the Word of God? How can I know what's wrong if I never spend time in Scripture? 
Well, the Holy Spirit just speaks to me through signs and billboards and songs. That's great, but I promise he'd love to use the word of God if you'd open it. In fact, it's his favorite tool. But here's my problem, and I'm just going to confess some things to you. Instead of convicting me, sometimes the Holy Spirit has to convince me of my sin. The conviction doesn't come until the convincing has happened. Here's my deal. I work for a guy that encourages us as a staff all the time not to be sarcastic. Here's the problem. If you want to know what second language I speak, it's sarcasm. I'm extremely good at it. I've worked 51 years at it, and I've polished it off to a fine art. Sarcasm can be used sometimes, but most of the time when I'm using it, it's throwing someone under the bus. Now, I'll be honest, when I'm sarcastic, I don't feel a lot of conviction. And there's been many times in my life that the Holy Spirit's had to convince me, hey, shut your mouth. That's how the Holy Spirit speaks to me. Why are you talking that way to people? I got busted. I just, I just preached on this first service and I was sarcastic to somebody as they left today and they called me out on it. And I tried to cover it up. Like, no, that's the truth. That's not sarcasm. I was like, dang on it. But many times in my life, the Holy Spirit, and you guys are looking at me like you've never had this happen in your life. Sarcasm might not be your deal, but I think all of us can say there's been times I've needed to be convinced something was sin before I was convicted about it. The psalmist wrote in Psalm 139, he says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. He didn't want anything hidden from God. Holy Spirit, work on my heart and everywhere. Point out the sin. Why? Because sin kills joy. Jesus goes on in verse number 16. He says this, a little while and you'll see me no longer. And again, a little while and you'll see me. So some of his disciples said to one another, what is it that he says to us a little while and you'll not see me? And again, a little while and you will see me. And because I am going to the father. So they were saying, what does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he's talking about. Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him, so he said to them, is this what you are asking yourselves, what I meant by saying a little while and you will not see me, and again a little while and you will see me? Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. It's interesting in this passage is some different interpretations of this. Some say that Jesus was referring to the fact that, hey, you see me now, I'm going to die, and then three days later I'm going to rise again from the dead. Some others interpret it to say that he meant that, hey, I'm going to go back to heaven for a long time, but I am eventually going to come back to earth, second return of Christ. It could be either one, it could be both. But what he's trying to tell him is, listen, there's going to come sorrow but don't worry, I'm coming back. He 
He goes on in verse number 23. He says, in that day you'll ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you, because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. Jesus is letting the disciples know that they have direct access to the Father through him. This is something new. Again, put yourself in their position. They've been raised Jews that go to the temple. And they have to offer a sacrifice. And then the high priest goes into the holy of holies, into the presence of God, and offers up sacrifice for the people. They've never had direct access to the Father. And Jesus is saying, now you will. Through me you will. Ask anything in my name. He's telling them is you've got to pray. You've got to talk to me. You've got to talk to the Father. The Father loves to hear from you. Which brings us to the fourth thing that can kill our joy, and that's silence. A lack of prayer. Some interpret this passage, and they say, man, if I ask anything according to Jesus' name, I'm good to go. It doesn't matter what I ask. As long as I say in Jesus' name, I'm good. You're missing the point of this passage and of Scripture. God has a plan and a will for our life, and he wants us to pray accordingly. But sometimes the enemy, he wants to attack our prayers. He wants to tell us that our prayers are useless. What's the point? We can't change the mind of God. God already knows what's going to happen. What does it matter what we pray? Maybe today, if you're lacking joy in your life, it's because your prayer life is absent. Or maybe you've got bored with your prayer life. Maybe you need to change the way that you're doing it. Maybe you need to change the location, change the style, change some things. Maybe your prayer life has become something that you're praying about your comfort instead of your mission. If you were to write down your prayer request, if God were to answer the prayer request that you're asking and what you're praying about right now, would it be make your life more comfortable or make, keep you on mission? Sometimes God keeps us uncomfortable so we stay on mission. Isn't it amazing the hard times in our life, the struggles in our life, many times that's what pushes us towards God because we realize we need him. Today, I want to do something that we don't normally do in the middle of a message. We're not in the middle. We're almost done. Some of you are like, we're in the middle? Holy cow. (laughs) All the other people are going to beat me to the restaurant today. What I'd like to do, though, is for us just to bow our heads in an attitude of prayer right now. And today, be honest with God and say, hey, what does my prayer life look like right now? Maybe you need to thank him for the Holy Spirit. When was the last time that you just thank God for the Holy Spirit? Right now in your heart. Just offer up a prayer of thanksgiving. 
Maybe with the Holy Spirit, you thank him for the conviction that he brings in your life. Maybe as you sat here today, the Holy Spirit brought some things up in your life that you need to confess, you need to repent of. Maybe you need to ask him to convince you of the things that you can't see. Maybe that attitude of the psalmist, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. Maybe today there's something that you need to ask God about. Ask him that you'll receive that your joy may be full. Just call out to him. Say, Lord, this is what I'm asking for. Lord Jesus, we are thankful for what you did for us. We are thankful for the gift of the Holy Spirit in our life. God, I ask that we would be people that listen to the Holy Spirit's leading in our life. That we allow him to convict us. That we allow him to convince us. That we would understand how much you love us. God, we thank you for your sacrifice on the cross and for what you did for us. We thank you for the death and the resurrection. Thank you for your long suffering and your grace and mercy to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. One section left in this passage, and it starts in verse number 29. John 16 and verse 29 says this. His disciples said, Ah, now you are speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered each to his own home and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart. I have overcome the world. I have overcome the world. What's he saying to the disciples? He's saying, cheer up. Hey, Yeah, it's going to be a struggle. Yeah, it's going to be hard. But guess what? Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. Joy is found in me, not in your circumstances. So today, as we looked at these things in this passage that can kill our joy, as we talked about the struggles, as we talked about ourselves, as we talked about sin, we talked about silence, a lack of prayer in our life. Are these things killing our joy? Are we focused on these things? Are these things stealing what really shouldn't be stolen from us? Maybe today you know Jesus Christ and you look at some struggles in your life and you're like, man, I'm letting struggles beat me down. Or maybe your ego's gotten in the way. Maybe you've tamped down the conviction or the convincing of the Holy Spirit in your life to where now your joy's gone. Or maybe... It's just you can't remember the last time you spent quality time talking to God in in your prayer life. Can I encourage you as a follower of Christ 
to not let those things kill your joy because your joy comes from Jesus, not from circumstances. And maybe today you sit here and you say, you know what, I wish I had that kind of joy. I wish that I could have that joy and peace that Jesus offers. Can I, I just let you know that you can? Jesus put in there, he said to the disciples, the Father loves you because you listen and believe in me and you love me. Why do they love him? Because of how he guided them, the relationship that he had with them. And Jesus desires to have that relationship with every single one of us. That's why he was here in just a few chapters. He's going to lay down his life and die on a cross so that he could pay the price for the sin of the whole world. Every person in here, Jesus has already paid the debt that you owe God. Sin is what separates us from God. Sin is what keeps us from a relationship with him. And Jesus loved us so much, he said, I'll pay the debt. And he did. But he didn't stay dead. Three days later, he rose again from the dead because he wanted to show he had power over sin and death. That's why these 11 disciples, yeah, one turned his back on Jesus. One didn't ever understand it, but the other 11 were so convinced that Jesus was right, they went out and died for him. And today, he wants to have a relationship with you. Now, I wish I could say up here and say, hey, if you follow Jesus and give Jesus your life, everything is super smooth sailing from here. It's not. In fact, it might even get harder. I'm just being straight up honest. You might not have a lot of happiness in your life, but here's what you will have, joy. Joy and peace. So today, in an attitude of prayer, could we just bow our heads? And if that's the desire of your heart today, if you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and that's the desire that you have today, would you just say something like this to him? Say, Jesus I confess that I'm a sinner. And I believe that you are God. And I want to thank you for dying in my place for my sins. Jesus, thank you for rising again from the dead. And today, in this moment, I want to lower my pride. And I want to put my faith and trust in you. Jesus, thank you for saving me. And God, we come to you today and we're grateful for the sacrifice of your son Jesus on the cross. We're thankful that he rose three days later from the dead. God, without him, we would have no hope. We would have no joy. God, I ask today that for those that made that decision, that your Holy Spirit would just draw their heart to you, that they would understand how much that you love them and care for them and the relationship that they now have with you that's been restored because of the acceptance of that free gift of salvation. God, I ask for those of us that know Jesus as our Savior that we wouldn't allow things in our life to steal our joy, that we'd understand that joy comes from you. Thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.